The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. gentlemen to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Joshua Guncher, and on this episode, I am joined, as always, by Father Stephen McKenna of St. Gertrude the Great Roman Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and from traditional Catholic chapels all across this great nation of ours. I'm also joined, uh, in a unique exception to my guest scheduling, uh, by Justin Soder. I'm glad to have both of them here today. Nice to have both of you here. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Joshua. On this episode of Pastoralia, we're going to be moving back in time. Our last two episodes dealt with uh, Catholic child-rearing, and in fact, we're, we're kind of dovetailing into last month's flagship show on the single life. And in this episode of Pastoralia, uh, we're going to sort of begin to complete our set here, and we're going to talk about courtship and Catholic dating. Father Justin, we are picking a, a point in the the life of a, of a Catholic individual. I really think we're, we're going to be approaching this from the male perspective, uh, not only because there are, are three men on the line here, but um, also because a lot of courtship is really ultimately uh, directed by the male. And we're going to be talking about that, too. If really, to get started in talking about courtship, I think it's probably most important to understand what the purpose is of courtship is. The world has its own ideas of what courtship is. And despite the potentially differing uh, use of terms, let's try to understand what the Catholic concept of courtship is, Father. Well, Catholic courtship, or in courtship in general, the, the purpose of that, the, the end that, we're, that the courtship aims towards is that of marriage, the sacrament of matrimony. And that is really the only purpose that it exists. Now, we don't fairly want someone just jumping into and marrying somebody that they don't even know, because that could pose all sorts of different types of problems. But so there's this time of where two people are interested, mutually interested in each other, looking towards that end of marriage. And they spend that time getting to know each other a little better and to see that if there are prospects for the future uh, as something that they could join into that institution of, of marriage together in. And with that, it differs a lot from uh, from the modern concept, I guess you would say, of, of courtship or what's really can be considered dating as a contrast that the uh, contrary term there. I mean, in a way, Catholics are during courtship are dating because they might go on a date. But uh, but in reality, the modern concept of dating is kind of, if you will, more viewed as you're going to date a whole bunch of people with no real 
end in mind other than just uh, finding a way to express different carnal feelings towards another individual rather than actually looking specifically to that purpose of marriage. And then if you happen to find someone that you might, you know, accidentally uh, find somebody that you might want to marry, then, then okay, well, now I'll, I'll, I'll settle down with this person. But it's after the long string of interests that are part of the field, I guess you could say. Father, the difference between the world's concept of dating and a Catholic concept of marriage seems to be to be this, that when you're courting, you're intending a marriage to be the natural result of courtship, and that unless something perhaps gets in the way of that, that's going to be the direction you're tending, that the marriage is a foregone conclusion unless and until something goes wrong where perhaps this is, uh, this is not a good choice. Uh, whereas the world seems to say the presumption is against the marriage, and unless something convinces you otherwise, there's no intention there. Is that a, f- a fair distinction? I, I'd say so. Yes. I, I, maybe not uh, that you're uh, that the marriage is necessarily a foregone conclusion from it, but it's definitely the mindset of the couple that they're looking to that specific end. They're looking for someone whom they want to marry in their life. It's not just because so-and-so is pretty or because there's some sort of carnal interest or desire in that way, but it's because you've had conversations, you've, uh, you've met each other perhaps before and, uh, and realized that, that you have common interests and, and, and you get along well. And it could potentially become something that would that is marriage. And now I will look into that a little bit deeper of a level by entering into a courtship. Whereas, yeah, modern dating is kind of from a I guess you could say from a guy's point, like a pretty girl walks by, and you kind of say, well, let's let's see what uh, what she's like, and with no real aim at it at all towards. Like this person is someone I could see myself potentially marrying. Let's explore that possibility in a deeper. It's it's more of a shot in the dark. And um, you know, if I go through fifty girlfriends, then it's no big deal according to the world because you know I'm just kind of it's like you know walking through the car lot. I'm just testing out testing out a bunch of different cars. So, Father, let me jump in here for just a second. You've laid out the my question here is this. We take a look at courting and we say, okay, so I want to get married, and that automatically opens up the permissions, so to speak, taking interest in someone and courting them. But what are the prerequisites for for someone in the age and maturity and responsibility before they can jump in to say, well, okay, I'm going to actively pursue finding someone with the object of marriage in mind? We kind of touched on this in the show that you and I did last month on um, on the single life, such as job, you know, the ability to provide and whatnot. What would you encompass as saying, okay, these things need to be in place before a young man begins, or even a young woman begins thinking about marriage? Well, that's an excellent question, uh, Justin. And it's, it stands to be, to be made that this is actually part, in part tied in with that first question about the difference between the modern world of, of dating and, and, and Catholic courtship is that a, a man or a woman shouldn't enter into courtship until they are in a place in their life that they feel that they would be ready to move forward towards towards marriage that someone has you know from a man's perspective that they have a job and that that, that they could provide for a family and are working towards settling down for instance like they're not moving around constantly 
all over the, the country or the world for something, uh, you know, you wouldn't want someone who necessarily is a, uh, you know, is a soldier that, you know, that is constantly traveling all over the world to, to be saying, you know, I'm going to find myself a wife and then be gone for these huge spans of, spans of time all the way. I mean, that's not ideal uh, towards that. Um, also that they, would have a place or are working on having a place that they could be living on their own and, and be able to, when they get married, to have someone living there. And, and also a maturity level. You know, there, we, we talked about in that program that uh, on the single life that, you know, men aren't supposed to be marrying someone to be their mom. You know, they're, they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're marrying someone to be their wife. And yes, while they'll take care of, many of the same domestic duties, you know, a man should be able to perform whatever tasks may be. You know, I mean, you know, your wife might be sick and you might have to put together at least some sort of rudimentary dinner or be able to do the laundry or to pay the bills just because something happens that you should be able to and be responsible enough to, to do so. And, uh, you know, those are all things that while people are younger, that they work to build up those those skills and those levels of responsibility in order to fulfill those things in the long term of their life uh, in, in a married situation. And so, you know, if someone is, is too immature to, to, to enter in upon something like that, then they should wait until they, they gain that maturity uh, uh, to, for that. Um, at the same time, it's not to say that someone needs to be uh, you know, 100% squared away either. You don't have to be uh, you know, a man who has, you know, uh, started what is, a, you know, has really ventured down the long road of what has already become his career in order to do that. We're not saying that you have to be, you know, 10 years into a 30-year a, a career before you, you, you get married. That's that's too far in the opposite direction as well. And, and, from a, and for a woman, you know, it's the same thing, that they should be mature enough to to understand their their duties and their role as as, as a wife, that they should, um, you know, not be looking to marry their dad, looking for someone that is um, going to to treat them as as a child, or to, and they should not be looking for somebody that is going to treat them as their little princess or anything like that. But no, you're entering into a serious institution. You understand that. You're willing and able and mature enough to. to to embark on raising children, you know, when God provides those, and and when when you have that level of of readiness on both ends, then you know courtship is that next logical step. But but the idea of people courting while they have you know while they're still in high school or they have uh, five years of college still to go or something like that is is something that's going to be very detrimental uh, in the long run. Well, Father, let me also say, I think you you provide a good point of clarification there about we're not saying that someone has to be involved in a career. We're also not saying that someone has to make a you know six figure income. They they don't have to be extremely well off and you know in, in those regards. But what you're saying is it is important to have a stable job that you can provide for a family. And Correct. not just be bouncing from job to job and barely able to scrape by by yourself, let alone with one, two, or ten or fifteen children. So I think that's the point that that you're trying to make here. So let me ask this question, Father. While we're on this topic here, in terms of age range, what exactly is there an age which is too young 
And uh, frankly, their age is too old for courtship. No, not necessarily. The general principle for age, when you try to put a number to it, is that the church generally goes by what the secular government recognizes as an age of majority. And so, for instance, for the United States, that's 18. And so that's generally kind of the rule of thumb, but it's not to say that all 18-year-olds are ready to to get married. Many of them are not. Many of them don't have the maturity yet or the financial ability or life stability in that way to embark on it. At the same time, you might find somebody that's 17 years old and and has all of those things and is very mature and, and dispensation can be given for something along those lines. The line to, to begin looking at is, is generally considered to be that age of majority where people are starting to really become in, in all aspects uh, truly an adult. Well, Father, when it comes to being an adult, I, I tend to see that the world likes to find couples of similar age, maybe similar background, similar social standing, there's usually a similarity, and in particular in age, that the gap between a husband and wife in a worldling couple usually isn't that great. And it tends to be, uh, at least in, in, in what I've seen, that there is a much greater gap with Catholics, uh, generally the, the man being the older of the two, perhaps a little bit farther down his career. And, and this makes for an environment where he does have the security uh, of, uh, of, a, of a job. Uh, he has learned to deal with the responsibilities of a professional life and even his own personal life, which uniquely sets him up to be a, a good husband. And, and the wife has, has had some time, but not nearly the same amount of time, uh, to learn the types of, you know, there are going to be domestic responsibilities that she's going to have. And those certainly take skill and those certainly take time to learn. It's not something that's that's necessarily innate. But what we find with, with Catholic couples is that there's often an age gap. And I, I want to find out what your, your views on these age gaps are. And, and if the church, if the mind of the church is uh, has spoken to these things, and what, what you think the, the practical wisdom is for having one spouse older and one spouse younger? Is there a good scenario? Is there a bad scenario? What are your thoughts? First off, you, you can't put like a, a cookie cutter stamp as to like an age difference. But in general, having a bit of an age difference between the husband and the wife being that the husband be older is more oftentimes the, the more ideal situation. Yes, the woman has to learn domestic tr- uh, skills and things like that. And largely, if they're, especially if they're raised in a Catholic home, they learn those things you know, at a fairly young age, or they at least have ventured quite well down that road. But the, the, the gap, I think, really is the benefit of having the, the appropriate viewpoint upon the, the structure of a family. And what I mean by that is, as Catholics, we know that there's a hierarchy to a family, that the father is the head. The, the wife is his partner, but at the same time su- uh, subject to her, her husband. And so therefore, if there's a little bit of a gap where the husband's a little older, it helps make it easier for the wife to look up to the husband, to, to have that view of respect, that review of, of it makes it a little easier to, to honor that, that hierarchical system because she sees 
that he's he's a little more experienced in life and that he's a little more squared away in, in things and she's less likely to struggle when there's a situation that comes up where she has to give of of her own will to follow that hierarchical system and and it also gives the husband more time to to have a little life experience so he can as the head be able to make difficult decisions at times and not to go one way or the other, either not acting as the head of the household or being a tyrant as the head of the household because he hasn't built up enough real life experience to to balance that out. And so I think that that little bit of a gap, um, while not necessary, is oftentimes beneficial in, in a situation like that. Just to follow up to that, you talked about it in terms of the man being older. What are your thoughts in terms of, of the woman actually being older? There's nothing inherently wrong about it, but at the same time, especially when when the, the couple is a young couple, it makes it a little more difficult in that way because now you have uh, a woman who has more life experience and is going to be a, a little, perhaps a little set in her ways and unwilling to all of a sudden become the, you know, if you have a woman that has been living on her own for 10 years and now has to all of a sudden listen to, to somebody else at times, that's going to be a difficult change and adjustment to, to undergo. And also that from the husband's standpoint, standpoint that, you know, he, he may not be somebody that has enough experience to, to run the household, but, but more so just from natural inclination, I think is where the, any kind of difficulty may arise from that is that a wife will have to fight against her own natural inclination to, to think I'm older than he is. I, perhaps I know better. Or, uh, and I don't have to listen to, to what he's what he told me. Or uh, and the husband has to th- you know has to fight against himself to not be intimidated by the fact that I should re- you know really rely on her experience. She's older than I am, and uh, and not embrace his own role. But like I said, sometimes it can work. And especially as couples get older, if it's someone who doesn't get married until later, that age difference as you get older it becomes less and less. Of a, of a real sticking point anymore. And so if someone is 30 and the woman is, you know, 30 years old and the husband's 28 years old or, you know, then, you know, it's not as big of a deal as if the woman was 20 and the husband 18 because they've both had uh, enough time to, to kind of grow up. Father, is there an age that's too old? I mean, like, is there a, is there an expiration on when, a man and woman can actually court or is, I mean, is that pretty open? <laughs> like a, like a, like a best if used by date stamp that would have right. to be put on. For... <laughs> uh, no, no, there isn't. Uh, I mean, ideally with, with most situations you'd want, especially for a woman, you'd want somebody that could still be within childbearing years. However, it's not, necessarily the case it's if, if a couple is, is older and they get married as then there's nothing against it and in fact it happens quite often more more so in instances where you have a woman that's a widow and a husband that's a widower they at times will find someone else in their life to marry again and there's nothing standing in the way of that and it's also the realization that companionship and and, and care is, is part of the uh the married life and also the the helping each other against confusions and stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily always go away, and uh, and so it's better that they are allowed to get married. But I mean, obviously, in the ideal structure, 
someone that is young enough that they can raise a family and, and do those things. But there's no there's no expiration date on uh, on people and as long as they're alive. If they've died, then it's kind of like fruit going bad, I guess. But you know, it's uh... <laughs> well. Let's. Uh... I was thinking about something that I read this morning that I won't bring up about uh, marriage, uh, posthumous marriage in France, but that's another story. Um, there's a um, uh, so so looking at this, we've laid out the purpose of courtship. We've talked about age and what the responsibilities, particularly of the man, are when he goes out hunting, if you will. Something that I think is lost on a lot of of Catholics today. And I remember hearing this in a sermon several years ago, and it might have been from Bishop Dolan, or it might have been from Father Chicada, or it might have been from Bishop Samuel, and I can't remember who it was because I've heard so many sermons, but it was about this concept that courtship is a near occasion of sin, yet it's a necessary near occasion of sin because man has a natural right to marry. And if you've been in the Catholic world for any period of time, you've certainly heard sermons about avoiding near occasions of sin. But all of a sudden, we move into the realm of courtship, and that gate is sort of opened a little bit where you can you can walk through it. And there are there's a lot of responsibilities that come with walking through that gate purely for the the sake of courtship itself. That you, you have to you have to look at what you're doing, and there's a lot of things that are required of you. It certainly requires the practice of virtue. And can you can you talk a little bit about this near occasion of sin in courtship itself, but also as it relates to people who are courting at various ages? How does this differ from someone who's say twenty years old versus someone who say is thirty five or forty years old? When we talk of near occasion of sin and the avoidance of near occasion of sin, we have to differentiate between necessary and unnecessary occasions of sin. So, for instance you know, from a totally different uh, approach to it. Someone find themselves every time they look at a, at a, a political website that they get, get angry and it stirs up that, that frustration that they're constantly having to battle against. Well, you could say that that's an unnecessary occasion of sin. If you're constantly getting angry at, at something like that, you don't have to be reading that stuff and it's better to just avoid it. However, if you were, uh, say, a police officer and you have to read about case file for someone that was a perpetrator against youth in some sort of way, and you know that that stuff makes you angry, but at the same time, you have a job where you have to pursue after such a, such a person. You need to know what they are and who, and who they are and what they've done. And so, therefore, that occasion of sin where to become angry all of a sudden becomes a necessary occasion of sin rather than an unnecessary occasion of sin. So the same thing goes with marriage. You know, we don't want to be leading ourselves into occasions of sin with, you know, from a male perspective, being being alone with women that uh, you know, because that's automatically just an occasion of sin that does not have to, to, to be there. If we, we can't be careless about that, we can't just say, well, I'm just going to spend all this alone time with these different different girls because I think that I'm strong to always resist that temptation. That's not necessary. But when you're talking courtship, well, there's, a, there's an end in mind that you can only reach by spending time with that other person. And so it becomes a, a, a necessary occasion because uh, you need to know who that person is before you end up actually entering into a lifelong marriage with them. So 
you you've transferred it into something that can be allowable to to do because it, it's now taken on a, a, a role of, of necessity. So when it comes to to courtship, yes, it's, it's necessary to put ourselves in that occasion, but we have to do our part to take all the safeguards that we can to fortify ourselves with prayer. It's always recommended that that any couple that are courting, that if they're going to spend time together, they should they should say prayers together beforehand, you know, uh, to before going out on some sort of date. That way, that they're mutually praying that they are protected to remain pure in their courtship. Uh, I, you know, it's always recommended, for instance, to say the rosary. You, you know, what better way to start off a date than to begin with saying the rosary together, asking God to guide them in His will and to protect them from from sin. And so, you know, that's it's always a strong recommendation that, that any couple should should do. Okay, we're going to, to do this. And then we have to, even though we are in a near occasion of sin, we have to do what we can to eliminate the unnecessary uh, occasions of sin. So just because we're going to spend time with somebody, we can still avoid unnecessary occasions of sin. So, we, you know, they if any time spent with, with somebody that you're courting should be done in a semi-public situation. So, for instance, going to a restaurant, that's a, that's a semi-public situation. Only so much can go wrong at a restaurant, if you if you will. That, you know, we've gone out to eat at a restaurant or we've gone out with friends or we've, we've spent time with, one you know, one of the families or uh, whatever it may be. It's kind of, you know, if it's out in the light, then there's less chance of falling into sin in that way because we've 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 cut it off and we're and we're we're noticeable to to those around us and there's less temptation for that and so with with the flip side of that being avoiding the times where you're truly alone you know you know any Catholic couple courting should not be spending time sitting in the car alone talking and just sitting outside and talking in the car or they shouldn't be spending time just in each other's uh, house or apartment alone in, in any kind of way, because that's just going to open up a door for for real bad temptation to violate purity that don't have to be there. No, we have to we have to safeguard ourselves. We have to realize that no matter how strong that we think we are, we're still weak. And I think that uh, overall, the younger someone is in courtship, the stronger those temptations will be. It's not that say that someone who's 35 years old won't necessarily be tempted into sin, but they also have a little bit more life experience to to say, I'm not going to just fall into the first temptation that comes my way. That doesn't mean that, that they're excused from, from guarding themselves against that possibility. I think the greatest thing is that when people start to think that they that they're stronger than they are, or they, they uh, you know that or this is I'm not going to be tempted in this situation, even though in common estimation from an object, objective point of view it could be a tempting position. We should never pretend that we're stronger than we are. So it seems, Father, that the woman that one might decide to pursue in a courtship would be one who, who manifests this type of virtue. I mean, I, I suppose that that's part of the aspect of the courtship is, is not just, well, what have I learned about, about this person, but, but also how this person actually treats the courtship. And, and, and like you're saying, this necessary practice of virtue is, is something which is to be looked for. But what else are we to value uh, in a potential mate? I mean, the, the question may seem somewhat obvious, 
but it's very easy to name the the first couple of things on the list, and then it starts to get a little murky. Uh, how are we to value some of these things, which we might point to a worldly dating uh, situation and say, well, that's what the worldlings want, but what what am I as a Catholic supposed to be looking for? So just walk us through those basic things which a Catholic courtship uh, should result in learning about another person. What should I be looking for in a mate? And if I could jump in real quick, Father, before you answer that question, I think it's, sure. I think everyone is going to realize that, yes, she has to be Catholic, or he has to be Catholic, they need to be praying, they need to be receiving the sacraments. I mean, those things are baseline. I mean, that, that should be in place, I think, before, you know, one even considers moving into a courtship with someone. I think we're looking to get, we're looking to scratch the surface a little deeper here than the things that automatically should be in place. Right. Although not always necessarily taken for granted, it, it is something that at least in some base level, people understand that, okay, well, so-and-so should be a Catholic. Uh, if you can't see eye to eye on the faith, then it's going to open up the door for major problems in the future. Talk to anybody who is part of a mixed marriage, uh, anybody, even if you, you know, you might have people that are 80 and, and 75 years old that are have been married for 50 years and they are in a mixed marriage you ask them they might love each other deeply but if the if if the catholic of that mixed marriage cares about the faith they will tell you that there are many many times in their marriage where hardships have arrived even if the non-catholic is is the best of intentions of of uh allowing the catholic to continue practicing the faith and raise their kids as, as catholic it's it's bound to happen it's always a even if it's even if it's at this basis level of just the kids wonder why one does it and one does not it, it's always going to be some points of contention along the line that don't have to be there and so the idea of a mixed marriage you know that should not be our our focus we shouldn't be going i should just marry a protestant or i should marry uh, someone who, you know, is a really kind of lapsed Catholic or something like that. But to expound upon that, we should also have before us that point that not only should they be Catholic, but they should be, we should be looking for somebody who's a, who's a good Catholic. We should set our standards to be someone that is going to, to help me in my own faith, because that's part of that. You know, you, you, a, a husband and a wife should be working together to bring each other up to constantly help each other to improve in, in, in the faith, to, to practice it more perfectly, to grow in grace together. It's a sacrament. You, you know, you, it, it's based around the imposition of sacramental graces and the building up of actual graces. And, you know, the, the main purpose of it is for, for each other and your children to all get to heaven. That's what the, that's what the Institute's there for. And so, you know, you shouldn't just say, well, so-and-so is a Catholic. She, she or he technically goes to my church, but, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a guy who goes to mass three times a week and says my daily rosary and frequences the sacraments and takes my faith very seriously. And so-and-so is really just kind of shows up as her token or his token duty on a Sunday and just kind of goes through the motions and doesn't really, and once they leave the doors of the church, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a whole different lifestyle. That's not, it's not enough to just say that they're Catholic. We want to try to find someone who is a good match for us that's going to aid us in that way. And then from there, I guess you get into the, 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 the lesser of important things, but still important. Someone that we can get along with uh, as a whole and someone that we can converse with and with, at ease and, and someone that we just don't mind being around because 
when you get married, you're going to be around them a whole lot. I mean, it's going to be, you, you have to, you have to actually like the person that you're going to want to enter into marriage, marriage with. If you're fighting constantly during your courtship, it's not going to change once the ring is on the finger and the ceremony is over. You know, that's part of what courtship is about to see if you can, on a regular interaction, get along with, with someone. And it's not to say that you have to be always whistling tunes and, and, uh, and thinking of roses, but at the same time, you know, the realistic expectation of that overall we get along. And when we don't get along, we work it out. Very important. And that the goals and ideals are the, are the same, that you're both looking to, to start a family. You're both looking to, uh, to raise Catholic children. You're both looking to uh, be involved at, uh, in, in your faith and make it a central point of your lives and, and to work it that way and, um, and to grow together. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's finding those common grounds. You don't have to, you don't want, you don't necessarily need someone to be a carbon copy of yourself in, in the opposite, gen, opposite gender, but you just need somebody that, that overall you on the, the, the primary points of, of importance of, uh, of life that you guys see eye to eye on and that you um, are willing to, 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 to be around each other that way. This is something that I have seen, and it goes back to your point of what we would call settling. And it's usually, usually speaking, it's the woman who will say, he's a nice guy. He has many good natural qualities. No, he's not a Catholic, but he's just the nicest man I've ever met in my life. And I'm going to pray for his conversion. And he's agreed to let the children be raised Catholic. Why is it? that we see this time and time again. I mean, I have been, and I'm certainly not going to drop any names, but I mean, I've been to several chapels and, and, you know, you hear about mixed marriages all the time where for some reason Catholics aren't marrying one another, but you'll have someone who may have been raised in a traditional Catholic family. They were given all the opportunities to understand their faith and, and to understand the importance of certain things which must be in place in a marriage, and yet they go out and they marry someone who's an agnostic or someone who's a Protestant. Why is it that the women seem to do this, that, that, that there's, this, there's this settling, that I'm just going to do this because I want to be married? And what advice would you give to our ladies and they're single and they might be tempted to this? My advice, I guess, doesn't really go for just the ladies, because I've also seen it happen with, with men, too, that they that they get frustrated and they they kind of throw their hands up and 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 are willing to settle as well. But but uh, but so in general is that it's worth the wait. You know, you, it's it's tempting. That's that's like the, the 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 nice guy. You know, the quote unquote nice guy is that low hanging fruit that that's mm-hmm. there. You know, that is you know, it really looks easy to, to to grab at. I've been trying for years to find a, a suitable spouse. And uh, I finally found someone that, yeah, I don't see eye to eye on the faith and things like that. But overall, they seem like a general, like decent person. But he, that's not a long-term approach to it. That's not a long-term, that's not seeing in the bigger picture of it. And, you know, you, you might even be able to get along together yourself, but then you add kids into the equation. You're opening the door for the, the question that's going to come to you 10 years down the line from from you know, your son or daughter, like, why do I have to go if dad doesn't go or mom doesn't go? 
the church, or why do I have to pray? You know, they don't pray, or Dad's a good guy. Is he? Is he? Is is he going to hell? Why is our religion so, you know, so negative in the, the approach to, to to good people like that? And you're going to cause weaknesses in their own faith just because of the fact, and they could be the nicest of people, but it's 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 going to open that that door for that true weakness uh, to, to creep in, and, um, and and that is what's going to cause big problems in the future. And so my advice on that is, is don't despair. I mean, you know, like, whether someone gets married at 20 or 30 or 40, or, you know, perhaps not even at all, but saves their soul, is far more important than someone who settles and then is unhappy, or at the very least, really puts themselves in spiritual danger or their children in spiritual danger, you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at what's most important. And there's nothing more important than serving God and saving your soul. And that can be done in many ways. And someone may be called to marriage and, um, you know, yes, sometimes it's hard to find a suitable spouse, but it doesn't mean that that person's not out there and you're just, uh, and you just have to be patient. You know, sometimes our prayers uh, it's the persevering prayer that is that is answered. God wants to sometimes see that we're going to 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 always be be true to Him first and above all else, and wants us to persevere in our present trials and 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 and, uh, and desires, than to to jump at the first first thing that as an opportunity that we see. Yes, it does. And I I would say one more thing, particularly to the young ladies that might be listening to this, and I'm sure Father, you've seen you've seen this case as well, but. Of the cases that I have seen, and, and I know a handful of them, that this type of a situation was carried out. They were married, and before the marriage, it was the typical, oh, you know, he's interested in the faith, or yes, he's going to go to Mass with me and whatnot. And they go, they get married, and then without fail, she's sitting in the pew on Sunday by herself. And you might see him show up at Christmas and Easter or whenever the guilty conscience starts to burn a little bit and he just wants her to settle down and be quiet and quit talking about this whole faith issue, and he'll show up. But other than that, she's on her own. And now it's important to understand that, just like you said, Father, I mean, you're bringing children into the world whose souls you're going to be held accountable for. And that creates a very nasty situation. The reason I brought this up was because it is so prevalent. I mean, it, it seems to happen nearly everywhere. People just think this is all right, and well, you know, I just want to get married. You know, you and I were talking about this a while back, uh, just just in a private conversation. You said, "Look, one of the questions I asked myself in certain in certain courtships was, will this person ultimately help me get to heaven? I mean, are they going to be an aid to my salvation or not?" And I think that's a you, know, you said that a few minutes ago, and that's so, certainly something that we have to keep in mind. And I don't see how how that would be possible in a mixed marriage where your spouse is at best indifferent to the faith. Right. Yeah, it's 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 true. I and, mean, you know, it's not to say that people who are in mixed marriages are, you know, obviously they're not hopeless causes, of course, but it's but it, you make that hill much harder to climb. And there are so many pieces to that that are working against you that uh, it, it's it's a much harder battle to, to fight and it's a much harder battle to, to have your children fight that. And, um, you know, it takes uh, it, it's it's hard enough to make a good Catholic marriage work well and to be a, a, a means of, of, of grace and, and, and sanctity, uh, even more so when only one half of that, uh, that equation is, is, is working. To be fair, I've seen people who have converted 
before they've gotten married and gone through the marriage classes and end up being extremely strong Catholics. It's not to say that someone who is can't, can't be sincere in converting to the faith and 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 do so and be you know become a good Catholic spouse in that way and uh, and sometimes you know marriages start out that way. But that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal shouldn't be go out there and find a Protestant and try to convert them to the faith while we're courting. It should be I should try to find someone who's a who's a good Catholic and um, uh, and you know because it's much much more common that that is going to be more successful than so the I'm going to try to grab somebody and get them to become Catholic, especially after marriage, you know? Uh, and so that's, you know, it's, um, you know, that's why for us, when, when uh, people who are going through uh, conversion classes, catechism classes, convert to the faith, and they're doing so because they had met so Susie Q or John Smith or, or something and they're Catholic and they said, they want you to be a Catholic before we marry. We have to be, as priests, we have to be very careful going through those classes to make sure that this conversion is actually to the best of our ability to see a sincere conversion and not just, I'm going through the motions and just kind of saying, yes, I don't care one way or the other. I just want to marry so-and-so, you know, and so that's, those things are concerns and those things are, have to be, be viewed and you know, the Catholic who is looking to be married, remember, it's, it's a sacrament and, and that's a, that's something that's you know very very serious and something that you usually only get to do once and uh, um, and so you you want to find the right person not just because you get along when you're watching watching a play or something like that you, but you get along because not only naturally speaking but supernaturally speaking you see eye to eye. Father, I've got a follow-up question for you, but first I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Joshua Guncher, and I'm joined today by Father Stephen McKenna, and also by uh, Mr. Justin Soder, and today we've been discussing Catholic courtship. Uh, We want to remind you that Pastoralia is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Though permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Father, just to follow up on that last comment, Justin had mentioned the the issue of, of, of mixed marriage, where a courting couple overlooks the necessities of what may become a Catholic marriage, uh, that, that baseline, you, know, you, you have the faith in common, you are marrying someone of your own religion, that that bare bones, fundamental bedrock uh, that, uh, while it doesn't guarantee a happy marriage, not having it may guarantee an unhappy marriage. The question I have is, you have those who, the necessities, and focus mainly on the compatibilities. Well, he's not a Catholic, but uh, he's a nice, he's a nice man, and he's uh, someone who would take care of me and protect me, all of the natural virtues, but none of the, perhaps none of the supernatural. Let me flip it around for a moment. Since we're talking about needing an aid to one's salvation, is it possible for it to be dangerous if you just are focused on the bare bones necessities, but not on the compatibilities? In other words, is, oh, the, floor, is, the, is the floor enough? Just because the supernatural outweighs the natural doesn't mean we can't uh, also doesn't mean we should just ignore the natural uh, aspects to it because a large part of a, of a marriage is based on the natural aspect of it as well. And um, you know, they work hand in hand, just like 
you know, uh, my uh, my soul and my body are not separated in this life. Uh, same thing with my my marriage. You know, I, I I can't just be able to see eye to eye on the matters of the faith with somebody, but I also have to be able to to understand and and respect and uh, and be compatible with someone as a human being as as, as well. Because um, you know that's that's very important. If a you know if uh, it, like I said mentioned briefly earlier before, if if people are constantly fighting in in, in a matter of courtship and not getting along, I mean that's not going to spell happy marriage down the line. And those those natural struggles will turn into supernatural ones because then there'll be temptations uh, that will arise because of that. There'll be temptations towards anger. There'll be temptations towards despair. There'll be temptations towards infidelity. Uh, Any number of those things arises from an unsatisfactory uh, marriage on the natural means. It's, you know, it's a whole package. It's a, um, you know, it's, it's something that you you have to realize going into that. uh, No, I'm looking for someone who is, who is truly compatible with me. Now we don't want to overanalyze it and say we have to be compatible on every single thing. You know, uh, the man may like to read things of, of philosophy or something like that, and the woman has no interest in those things. Well, that's fine. I mean, you're going to be different in, in likes and dislikes and, and personalities and, and whatever. But as long as you can see that on the, the larger, more important natural things we we get along with you know i don't mind being in so-and-so's company i don't mind having just a nice conversation with somebody or just to even not say anything at all to be sitting with somebody and and just to be comfortable sitting there uh in the same room with them uh that you know one for instance i mean if a man is coming home from from work and he's dreading walking through that door and seeing his wife, that's that's going to be many grave temptations that are going to come against him. And all the things he may be dreading are just simply natural. Uh, you know, and um and that's not that's not a healthy thing either. It's uh, you know, a husband should look forward to to coming home and seeing his wife and spending time with her uh on a on a, on a whole. He should look forward to those times when he gets to sit and just talk with his wife and uh, or or vice versa. You know, the wife can't be sitting there thinking, oh, he's going to be home any minute now, and now I'm going to have to spend the rest of the evening with him. You know, no, she has to look forward to, I'm looking forward to when my, overall, I'm looking forward to when my husband comes home and uh, and I get to spend time with him, or maybe he'll have you know, a couple of days off from work and we'll just get to spend some quality time together. Those things are, you know, those things have to be there. Those things, once again, going back to the children, it's so important for children to see that not only are their parents in a spiritual relationship but also in a in a loving relationship that they actually really care for each other and love each other and um and that uh, that is uh, that that's their model of what a marriage is and that that's you know because not only do they see in the relationship of two people but they also see that in that the relationship of, of a full picture of a happy life uh, united with with God and, and his church father there's something that i think needs to be really unpacked here. I, the role of the man and the woman in a courtship are, I think it's fair to say that they're different. There are a lot of those really take a worldly view of things and say, well, let there be a, you know, an equality of the man and woman in terms of how the courtship is not only initiated, but pursued. 
know, it's funny, even even worldlings, I think, find it strange if a woman proposes to a man. It just it rings kind of oddly in the ear. But when it comes to Catholic courtship, let let's talk about what the job of the man is, because I think the job of a Catholic man in a Catholic courtship has been really diluted and beaten down, as as it were, by the world in terms of his responsibility. What is the responsibility of the man in the, in the courtship? I mean, what are, what are his jobs? How does he proceed in a, in a Catholic courtship? Does he sit passively? What what are we to, supposed to expect? If, if a woman is supposed to expect of a of a Catholic man. And what what should a Catholic man expect of himself uh, in terms of initiating a courtship? Well, I think that's important. I mean, we we have to remember, you know, first off, that the world that we see around us is very quickly uh, going down the road of role reversal. That you know, women are becoming acting more and more like men, and in turn, men are acting more and more like women. That they're that they're that they're weaker, that they're 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 kind of wimpy about it, or they're looking for a woman to to be assertive to make that first move, and they don't want to uh, be decisive in, in anything, and and that's far from it. You have to remember, courtship is is looking for looking for a Catholic spouse, and in that, inherently so, you know that those roles need to be apparent in courtship as well as in marriage, because a, a woman is going to be looking for someone who can be a good husband and be a good father. And if you don't let those those attributes of yourself, those those that willingness to lead, that willingness to be to embrace your role as man, to be out there, then either a woman is not going to want to necessarily be in a marriage with somebody, or they're going to uh, at least not have that respect that is, is necessary uh, for a wife to have to to her husband because, or at least tempted against that because of the fact that she doesn't see that that those qualities, those manly qualities, coming out. You know, a, a, a Catholic male should be the one to initiate. He should be the one to say, you know, would you, uh, you know. I'm interested. Uh, I think we get along pretty well. We, we're both good Catholics. I, I'm looking to, to to perhaps be married. Maybe, you know, I think you are as well. Would you, would you like to pursue this this further? And it takes it takes that little bit of a gut check from a man, but but it, but it, that's part of that manly virtue. I've seen times where where a possible situation of courtship has been missed simply because the woman was waiting for the for the guy to say something and he never did. And it's not really; it shouldn't be their place to to impose that. So therefore, they just let let it go away. And you know, who knows what the possibilities for such a situation would have been if the man had had, you know, for lack of a better term, manned up and, and and done the hard thing of actually putting himself out there, putting himself at at, at a little bit of of, uh, of risk, at least a, you know, like a, a comfortable comfort comfort level and and uh, feelings wise at, at risk. By, by making that first initial a- uh, asking of it, or and then from there, also with that comes the, the part where if you're actually in a courtship, well, it's behooving upon a man to act manly in that way. I don't mean to go walking around and like sticking out your chest and you know grunting like an like a like an ape or something like that, but uh, you know, but to you know, and you don't have to be going around trying to prove that you can lift more weight or grow a beard faster or something. Uh, I mean manliness in the in the in the actual 
character and that, you know, a man to be manly is not just to be the one to necessarily ask or to, to be assertive, but also to be a gentleman. That's the, the, the flip side of that is that men have to realize that they need to be gentlemanly. And just because women's lib tells us that we shouldn't hold open doors or pull out chairs doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold open doors and pull out chairs. No, we have to realize that those virtues are very important and that, or that, that we have to be the one to, uh, to act, you know, care for, for somebody. And, you know, if need be to, to stand up for, for somebody, you know, and I, you know, it's not that we're going to go out there and get into fights, but a woman will feel secure knowing that a man is looking after and caring for her in those little things that if a bigger thing came along, you know, he would still be there to stand by her and and to, to stand up for her in that way too. So those those manly virtues they they have to come out. A woman is not looking for another lady with a beard to date. You know, looking for for a, for a, for, a real, for a man. You know, so that's uh, that's it's a man. He has to embrace his manly character, and uh, and that's very important. And by doing so, men, by doing so, um, you'll make it a lot easier for your prospective spouse to not only appreciate that, but also to look up to you in that respectful way as, you know, it just naturally they're going to be drawn to follow you as, as a husband. So, Father, the situation now is that we've, we've, we've decided we're not chumming the water, we're, we're, we're flying the flag, we're nailing our colors to the mast. We're ready to go in, you know, to play the game, and we've we've found somebody who seems not only to meet the requirements of necessity, but also compatibility, and we've put this person in our sights. The question is is a, is a purely practical one. This is not a spiritual question. How formal does this have to be? I mean, the the dialogue that one could come up for or come up with for uh, an initial encounter between people could be absolutely excruciating to hear. Uh, I, I, I'm feeling embarrassed almost thinking about it. And I wonder, how is it that you're supposed to uh, make this this inclination known? I mean, you said before, yeah, you, you make, make it known that you're looking to court somebody. Does it have to be with all of the formalities of uh, the sale of a, of a piece of property? I mean, is this, is this something which can be done in a in a more casual way where you're sort of, you're aware what the other person's intentions are. Uh, you have the same intentions. You, you, you both know that. Is it necessary to, to make it so formalistic? No. And I think to, to, to box ourselves in in that way would be, would be to do an injustice to the idea of courtship as a whole, because of the fact that, I mean, what is courtship? Like we talked about before, it's, it's piercing the veil. It's getting to know somebody. You can't get to know somebody um, it, without that initial conversation of just talking and 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 letting these things come out organically, if you will. To, to that uh, you know that it, as you get to know somebody a little bit and you talk more and you become comfortable in, in, in talking to each other, then then yeah, it can be it can just come out more easily and more more comfortably for both involved. If you, you know, if you kind of just knock on the, on the, the uh, proverbial door, if you will, and say, you know, and you're like, I'm looking to marry. It looks like you're single and you're looking to marry. What do you say we explore this a little deeper? Then, you, you know, it's kind of like, 
like the the door-to-door salesman that you know the you're you're just trying to you know like I have a vacuum cleaner for you to buy and you know your floors are dirty so you might need a vacuum so that's uh, you know, you should talk to me now. It's going to cut off our possibilities more quickly than, you know, just letting, you know, the natural conversation take its place. It's, but it's the, you know, the, the, especially for the man, the realization that, you know, just because you're talking organically does not give you the excuse to not initiate the conversation. And it doesn't give you the excuse to not, uh, to shy away from actually talking about the issue that you're both seeking after, which is, which is a courtship towards marriage. It, it just means, you know, don't come up with some sort of stale rehearsed line and, and, uh, and uh, just make a situation more awkward than it needs to be. No, let, let the, let it, let it play its course, let it find its way in there naturally. But, um, you know, it has to, it has to start as, as conversation. It can't really start anywhere else. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the quickest way to a rejection is to have a canned line ready to go. You know, like oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you if you come up with, I mean, you know, you are going to re- be rejected, man. If you come up with one of the corny, you know, the uh, heaven just called their missing an angel, you know, type of lines for you. They're, you're 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 gonna <laughs> find your your way to a, a whole real long lonely existence. You know, eating microwave popcorn as dinner. So, Father, I, just, I understand that that's one of the signs of uh, a calling to the single life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we missed that last episode, Father. We, we missed that last that's episode. That's right. Let me ask you another question. <laughs> now, now that we're talking about formalities in, in courtship, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I think it certainly is, is based on a lot of different factors, but uh, when it comes to formalities, we need to talk about the subject of chaperoning. What is the thoughts on on chaperoning? Is it required? Is it more applicable to say younger people, or is it across the board? What would your response be to a parent who maybe their twenty something year old daughter is is coming and saying, "I want to go see so and so," or "I want to spend some time with so and so"? Do you would you tell them that the chaperone is necessary? If so, why? If not, why? The chaperone is not necessary, but that being said, it's not something that uh, is uh, not something that is it should be necessarily shunned either. I mean, we talk about people uh, people who are courting to to go out in in a semi public uh, place. Well, you know, having the the chaperone along makes the situation a semi public pr- place. Basically, you know, you, you could. Uh, and, it, and it protects against those kind of like little gaps in time that might be as simple as a car ride from the house to the to the to the dinner. Uh, well, you know, you might, you know, if you have another person along, it uh, it allows you to uh, to be even comfortable without uh, with that temptation is not going to arise even in that that little time spent in the car or uh, that uh, that it's a really good safeguard. And I think it certainly is more applicable to to someone who is younger, you know, if, if there's an 18 year old 
girl who is going on a on you know her first first date with a with a suitor that's coming in, then yeah, I think parents naturally and and rightfully so are going to be a little hesitant towards it, and I think the girl should be a little weary of it just for the sake of you know for ty- trying to ensure that they protect themselves and and uh, they don't get themselves into a bad situation, um, and 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 so that way. You know, a chaperone is, is is a great idea, and the, and it's best if you can get a chaperone that's, uh, um, you know, that is similar in age and uh, um, that you know will make the situation not uh, an overly awkward situation. Or if you could get, you know, what's even better is if you could do it as a as a double date type of type of situation. Then you're really making it more of an organic situation. You're getting to to do these things, and you're sharing it amongst friends. And um, and it makes it a much safer environment. That being said, is it absolutely necessary? I don't I don't think you can say that. And especially as people get older, uh, you know, someone who's 30 years old and is going to start courting someone is going to have to dig through his rolodex of married friends to to find someone to ride along with them. And you know, at that point, you have to at some point you have to be able to rely on your own virtue and your own um, your own uh, protections against the temptations of sin and and if you do those things that we talked about at the beginning of the show where you know you're praying together you're minimizing any kind of a real alone time and you're making sure that you're in semi public places and things like that then I think you can you know you you, you go a long way in in preventing those those temptations from from really arising in that, in that regard so is a chaperone necessary? No, is it uh, ill-advised? No, uh, you know I think the, the the ground lies somewhere in the middle there. That uh, um, that you know that having other people around is is always a uh, is 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 a good idea in general. That uh, that when you're able to be able to do something like that, uh, it certainly works in the in in favor. Uh, so. Father, we're getting towards the end of the show, but there were a couple of other issues that we wanted to make sure we covered before we wrapped up this episode. Um, I know that there's no firm time on the calendar where you, you start a courtship and then it ends in marriage. If there's, there's a bounded uh, period of time, there, there's no minimum, there's no maximum. But in terms of the length of a courtship, what, what is usually recommended? I mean, you're, you're dealing with, uh, with, with, with couples who are, who are courting, I imagine. You, you marry people, and, um, or at least you witness the marriages. What's the wisdom of of the church in terms of of your experience in in the length of a courtship? Well, I think the the wisdom of the church is that a courtship needs to be long enough where you can get to know somebody uh, that you know that what you're entering into uh, before before you get married. But it's not something where you know everything. You don't have to know every single detail about that person. You know, you you look at modern dating, and you know, you see people like, oh, we've been dating for five years. Well. That's a, a long, drawn-out time where you've just constantly been putting yourself in occasion of, of sin uh, and temptation in that regard. That you know, courtship, as we talked about from the outset, is just that you're you're in an occasion of sin. There, it's a necessary one. It's one that you know, if you're going to be married, it's unavoidable. But it, but you also don't want to linger too too long in that occasion. And so we have to to realize that. Uh, you know, that when we get to a point where it seems, yeah, we really are, um, you know, we've been going at this for a few months and uh, we, we're really very 
seem to be very compatible. I can see myself spending my life with, with so-and-so, and they can see themselves spending their life with me. Um, okay, now let's, you know, we should talk to the priest, talk about the, the idea of, of, of getting married and, and beginning marriage classes and, and stuff like that, and, uh, and realize that that, that is, that is the nat- natural progression of a courtship, that it is going to lead to marriage. Now, you know, there's factors that always weigh into that. Sometimes people live, especially nowadays with the situation in the church, people oftentimes live at a distance. And it might take a little bit longer to get to know somebody when you can only talk to them occasionally and you, you might get to see them once or twice in the year or something along those lines. Well, yeah, it might take a little longer to really get to know somebody than uh, than somebody who is from the same parish that you live in. Um, but, uh, or someone maybe, you know, a, a husband may be finishing up um, his his classes in school, and he has a year left of of schooling, and then but he has a job on the prospect on the horizon when he gets out this year. Okay, you know maybe we have to to, to drag the courtship out a couple extra months, and I may have wanted to, but but uh, it's for a, for a purpose and for an end. Um, but the the like the endless courtship, the the, the long lasting courtship, you no, know, that just opens us up for um, and those. Uh, unnecessary length of time in that occasion of sin. And uh, if we're not careful, can, you know, really make it difficult to resist that occasion. Father, we, so we know that the, a courtship can't go on uh, indefinitely, but would you would you venture a rule of thumb considering all of the other practical circumstances which could make it longer or shorter? Like a rule of thumb time frame? A rule of thumb uh, time no. frame. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I wouldn't be, be comfortable saying that just because um, because subjectively there's just so many things that can go into it. But I think if someone is talking to their, their priest uh, from time to time about it, then, you know, they can receive good counsel in that where the priest knows their situation well and, and realizes that they don't want them to be in, in a situation longer than they have to be. And also could tell them if they're moving too quickly, too. If someone is, you know, meets somebody and they're, they're, they're courting for a month or something and and they're ready to begin marriage classes, they might say, well, hold down, you know, slow down a little bit. Let's, you know, why don't you see this one out a little longer um, and, uh, and and talk. So I think, I think if people are talking to their priests uh, in general, um, then they'll be able to, to, to figure it out um, more, more quickly than not. But you just, but the, the, the overall rule of thumb is that it doesn't want, you don't want it to last too, too long because, uh, you know those those temp- of the temptations that will arise. Well, here's here's sort of a related question, then, Father. Let's say the the courtship, I guess, ends with with an engagement. There's a proposal, whatever it looks like, whatever the ring is. How long should that engagement then last? Are you willing to venture a rule of thumb on that? Well, an engagement should uh, really, if someone gets engaged, then it's now time to begin getting in touch with the priest about marriage classes and going in that way because it, that temptation towards sin begins to become stronger now. You know, if you if you've gone that step and you've gotten engaged and the ring is on the finger, then now we're in a situation where you, you've basically made up your mind. You know, I I've I've monetarily invested in in this ring. It's basically a promise that okay, we we see that we're compatible. Uh we both, you know, I ask you to marry me. And you've agreed. Now that you've realized that this is the the choice that you've made, well, now you 
take the marriage classes, and uh, and when they're done, you 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 know between the marriage classes and the organization of the actual event itself, then you get married. It you know that's the the engagement is really the the let's get let's get this ball moving now towards the sacrament. Um, because um, with the ring on the finger, the temptation becomes stronger. Because um, the, the 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 temptation to a to a person becomes now, well, we're almost married, and it's harder to see that there's a definitive line. There's there's only two options: there's not married and there's married. And that line in people's minds starts to get a little gray or a little blurry when there's a ring on the finger and. It could be it increases the possibility for uh, indiscretion when it comes to to uh, to taking uh, taking liberties, and we don't want that to happen. So, you know, rings on the finger. Time for us to go talk to the priest and see, you know, when he wants to schedule classes and how he wants to proceed. And you know, let's get a date set down and let's start doing the planning and all of this uh, towards towards that event. And uh, so, you know. Usually after engagement, it, it should move along pretty, pretty quickly that, uh, you know, the, and the priest will, you know, depending on, you know, whatever program the priest has set up, he may have, you know, X amount of classes to get through. And when he does that, um, you know, then there's nothing standing in the way of, of a marriage at that point. The, the last question I have for you, Father, is really a two-parter. There are those times and you hear about them, and, and I don't think that they're, they're infrequent. But you hear about the man meeting the family of the girl, the girl meeting the family of the, the, the man, and the family doesn't like the potential spouse. It's either the family doesn't like you, or maybe even it's a, you don't you don't particularly care for the family. You 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 like you know the woman likes the man, or the man likes the woman, but doesn't particularly care for uh, for the family. First question is: Do we need to be concerned that we're marrying not just the person, but the person's family, as as the world's wisdom seems to say. And then the second question is, well, what if the family doesn't like you and, and says, well, we don't want to have anything to do with this this person. We're not going to let you marry. Okay. Well, to the first part, the I'm getting married to, and I don't like this person's family for whatever reason, any myriad of reasons that that could be. That it should be the the, the sole deciding factor something, uh, especially if that spouse is, is recognizes that there's a, a point of conflict there. That uh, you know, if that's if the potential spouse recognizes that and is willing to 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 work with that in 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 a way of of putting a little distance there to so it isn't such a hardship, then you know there's nothing standing in the way there because part of it is is that you're not always going to get along with you know you're not marrying their family you're marrying that person. Yes, you're going to have to deal with that family. Yes, you're going to have to 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 be part of, in a way, part of that family. But but it, at the same time, it, it allows for the opportunity of the practice of the, of, of charity and uh, and of kindness in that way. You 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 have to put yourself out there at times. You know, you might be going over to the in-laws' house and you really don't like the family, but you're going over there for Thanksgiving or you're going over there just to visit or something like that. Well, you know, now is the time that you put on your smiling face and you take very kind things and you and you act very charitably and 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 you and you do and you make that sacrifice for your spouse. And so, so I don't think that that should stand in the way that I don't necessarily get along with so and so's family all that well. 
because you know that we have to we're not going to get along with lots of people we meet in the world but it doesn't mean we can always just run away from them uh you know if you go to work and you have to deal with people at work that you really don't get along with um uh, you know it doesn't mean you just start quitting jobs left and right because you don't you know you're not best friends with everybody at work no you 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 exercise the virtue of charity and and you and you push through and you do what you have to do um on the flip side of it, if the family doesn't like the potential spouse, then, you know, the person the, whose son or daughter that that is, you know, needs to, to hesitate and listen to what their parents have to say. They have to, they should not just dismiss it because, you know, they think that they're in love and they think they really like Johnny or Susie. Um, but they, they should realize, you know, in general, parents oftentimes have wise insight and they might have general and real concerns towards somebody and they should listen to it and they should listen to it with the, that advice um, with a, with a, with a, a level of gravity and a level of, um, of open-mindedness towards it because, you know, their parents might be seeing something that they're not, especially when they're, they're younger. That being said, um, the flip side of that is ultimately, um, you know, a potential spouse, is the one that has to make the decision for his or herself. And, and, you know, it's, it's the choice is ultimately up to them. And if their parents' concerns are not really founded upon anything, uh, any real, you know, concrete grounds or, uh, or it's just like a personal dislike or, or something that's just, you know, unfair. And, um, the, and the, the, that young person thinks to themselves, no, well, I've listened to my parents' advice, you know, I've heard them all, and what they've said, you know, it really has no grounding. I just don't think they like this person or they had someone else in mind for me or they had some other ideal in mind for me or they just don't want to let go, whatever it may be. Um, and they can honestly say that and looking at it, then the ultimate decision is up to, to the, the potential spouse to make that, that that each individual to make you know that it's it's their vocation it's their marriage it's their calling in life and and that choice is ultimately only theirs and theirs alone and so uh you know just because a parent may express strong views against a person getting married doesn't mean that they absolutely have to listen to it but it, but overall you know the most more times than not parents don't raise concerns without without actual reason but if they do uh, uh which you know occasions when it has happened um you know that shouldn't um necessarily deter someone from making that hard choice against their own family and to realize that, that this is their their future spouse because they're not you know they're getting married they're marrying their spouse they're looking to create a new family with new obligations and and it's a calling in life from God. It's just the same as if a parent tries to stand in the way of someone becoming a religious or a priest uh, because they don't like that vocation for so and so. If they feel called to that vocation, then uh, then it's own, you know their choice alone to to make, not the choice of of the parents to make. Well, same thing with the potential spouse. It's ultimately it comes down to the choice of of the individual, not according to the family. But but you know I don't want. I don't want young young listeners to just you know throw their parents' advice to the wind and uh, and you know run off recklessly with uh, you know Joe Schmo in the motorcycle gang because you know 
you know, that, uh, you know, I don't have to listen to my parents now. Oh, it's, they should overall, they should really listen to their parents' advice, but sometimes they're human beings. Sometimes they can be wrong. And if it's a, if it's a clear situation like that, then, then they, sh- then they have to realize that they do have to make the decision on their own. Well, I'm sure Joe Schmo and the motorcycle gang is, has really all the natural virtues in the world. He can, he can replace a butterfly spring and a carburetor with his eyes closed. But uh, for now, as we, as we close out this episode, we've discussed Catholic courtship. I mean, this is obviously necessary before marriage, and uh, hopefully it will end up uh, stitching together the life cycle of a traditional Catholic here, um, though perhaps in, in no particular order. Uh, I want to thank Father McKenna for joining us, also Justin Soder. I want to thank you for your time and being with us on this episode. Father, before we turn things over to the music, I wanted to find out if you had any other final comments, uh, brief comments, just to to close out the episode. Like anything else in life, we have to be be, be prayerful in our entries into into endeavors in, in life. That uh, that our uh, and this being marriage being a, a vocation and a true calling from God, you know, we can't just throw ourselves into it without a, a spiritual basis for it. That we should be prayerful. That we should be you know, attending the sacraments as much as possible and that we and that we should seek counsel when we can receive good counsel and and really try to go in it with that true mindset of what it really is, is, you know, a calling from God, a vocation in life. And uh, if I'm going to have a good Catholic marriage, I can't go into that process without involving uh, the one who's overseeing it all, God, God himself. And so, so I have to be prayerful about it, and I have to also safeguard myself against uh, unnecessary temptation. And if I do these things well, and uh, then, you know, then God will help me and assist me, so my courtship will be a fruitful one, and will hopefully end in a good and happy marriage that will bear many fruits as well. Let's make sure that we continue to pray for those people who are contemplating the married state. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to next month as we continue the series. God bless you. God bless you, too. If you have any questions for Father McKenna or even Justin Soder or any feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at pastoralia at truerestoration.org, P-A-S-T-O-R-A-L-I-A. We'll certainly pass along your questions. And we'd also like to take this moment to remind you that all of the correspondence that you have with us is treated strictly confidentially. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond any material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Joshua Guncher. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.